You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 50, The Stigmata, featuring Dr. Kevin Yavis and Ramey Thibodeau. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. Well, we made it. This is Episode 50. And I'd like to thank each good newsie that opened their hearts and minds on Find the Good News. Without your love and willingness to share your good news, this show doesn't happen. For the last month, I've been telling you all that episode 50 would be special, and I believe that it is. This week's episode, we are talking about suicide, an issue that affects Calcasieu Parish in greater numbers than I'd ever imagined. Suicide has been talked about on Find the Good News before. It's touched my life, and I know that it has rested on the lives of other guests of this show. My guests today are doing their best to make sure we don't skirt around suicide. They know we need to talk about it, and I believe we do too. If you follow this podcast on Facebook, you'll find a fundraiser link for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. If you feel moved to do so, please consider donating. The Out of Darkness Walk is a fundraiser for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. It will be held in Lake Charles, Louisiana on Saturday, September 21st. I invite you to join me and others at this event. If you are listening to this show and are having suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That number again is 1-800-273-8255. Please know that you don't have to be alone. Now, please open your mind and your heart to the special 50th episode of Find the Good News. I've put the pencil in and I've wound the tape up tight. Now let's press play on a little good news. I've often wished that I could see the private sufferings of the people around me to behold their secret worries, fears, and pains on a scale of colors. This may sound dismal to some, but it doesn't to me. I feel that if I could clearly see their pains, then I'd know exactly what ingredients to include in their particular medicinal balm. A caution light, flashing bright red. I've imagined what it would be like if people came equipped with such a signal. It would let others know they had reached the edge of what they believe can be tolerated and that they are considering taking their own life. In reality, seeing the burdens people carry inside takes a more delicate awareness than my color warning fantasy could muster. Knowing what to do when the red light is flashing takes a set of skills that are sorely needed in Calcasieu Parish. In an attempt to understand these skills, I asked the Assistant Professor of Psychology at McNeese State University, Dr. Kevin Yadis, and Director of Student Health and Development at McNeese State University, Ramey Thibodeau, to share their experiences and knowledge on suicide prevention with me on Find the Good News. Kevin began our talk with a sobering fact. The suicide rate in Calcasieu Parish is 42% higher than the national average, making death by suicide more common in our region compared to other areas of Louisiana. While Kevin and Ramey could not definitively say why there is such a disproportionate amount of suicides in our area, they did share ways that each of us can help. Kevin believes we need to have more open and healthy conversations about suicide, not just among mental health professionals, but in the actual tribes that make up our communities. 
Suicide has died in manifold pain and grief, a subject with deep stains compared to other mental health related topics. Kevin and Ramey are both working passionately to remove the stigmata from the issue of suicide, bringing it out of the shadows and into the light where it can be discussed in healthy and healing ways. The upcoming Out of Darkness walk on September 21, 2019 in Lake Charles, Louisiana is just one of many national events taking place in September that have been created to bring suicide into the public dialogue. The Out of Darkness Walk is designed to bring families, friends, and survivors together in solidarity, understanding, and love while raising funds for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. As a family member of a suicide survivor, I understand all too well how deep the stigma of suicide stains the fibers of your life. I have experienced the verbal dancing that takes place to avoid talking about suicide openly. As a man that was led to suicidal thoughts through mind-altering medications, I have seen just how seductive depression can be and how dark and lonely the hole is. I have been one of the lucky ones twice in my life, and I know that silence is not the solution. I've received second and third chances. These have tilled my heart, allowing compassion to bloom for those contemplating suicide. Unlike my colorful imaginings, we can't see the various tints of pain and despair that lead to suicidal thoughts. As Kevin proposes, we can change the way we talk about suicide and who we talk about it with. More than that, we can each take steps to cultivate awareness, greater listening skills, loving kindness, and most important of all, conscious presence for those exhibiting suicidal signs. Wake up, it's morning. You're dreaming up a story I can hear the way it's going Cause you're laughing in your sleep On the path to your deliverance In a holy wall of light Pouring through your window Old news, bad news, fake news Sometimes you just want to shut it all down And get no news at all With Find the Good News, I aim to change that by focusing on good people doing good work. I visit with artists, educators, civic and spiritual leaders, musicians, business owners, students, volunteers, and everyday citizens who are using their creativity, resources, and talents to bring hope and happiness to their corner of the world. In each episode, I dig into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have street-level conversations about relatable things going on in their lives, discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that are anchoring them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm going to find the good. And I love you just as well. Well, let's get going. Um, out of the darkness meeting is important, right? Right. So we'll just jump in right there. I mean, that's kind of what triggered me to have you come in today. You were recommended for the show by Kayla mm-hmm. and she felt like it was a good fit. She's been a long time listener and now she's a guest. We call the guests on the show. Good newsies. You know, we were trying to figure out some kind of clever way for people that are out in the community mm-hmm. doing good, good works, you know, that maybe aren't uh, always celebrated either. And that could be anything. It's a big umbrella and a lot of perspectives on what's considered good news. But we just felt like there was uh, a need for that in the community, some kind of positive stream of information. Sure. And so anyway, uh, she tuned me into that and in the out of dark, 
darkness walk and you know i got really interested in that because um you know suicides touched our lives and uh you know it's funny you say touched your lives and some usually that's got a positive uh when someone's touched your life but mm-hmm. suicide's not that kind of touch you know so uh anyway if you guys don't mind let's just kick it off by introducing yourself so kevin we'll start with you Sure. I am Dr. Kevin Yadis. I'm an assistant professor of psychology at McNeese. Okay. And I'm Ramey Thibodeau. I'm the director of student health and development at McNeese. Okay. Well, thank y'all both for coming in. Um, so today, I think it's really important that we really touch on the subject of suicide awareness. I've had a few guests on this show, and myself included, whose lives have been completely changed by suicide. Some before they were guests on the show and then some even after they've been guests on this show and i just you know it's painfully real how many lives this is affecting in our area and i had one guest bring up a piece of information that i wasn't aware of and he said that Calcasieu Parish has one of the highest rates of suicide? It does. It currently is 42% higher than the national rate. And um, this year alone, we've had, I think by the end of June, 26 deaths by suicide in Calcasieu Parish. So we're on track to double our rate, at least double our rate in Calcasieu Parish. Do you have any thoughts about why that is? Is there any research about why that is? I don't, um, and I get to ask that question all the time. Uh, we one of the things that we're trying to do is we, we need additional research. Um, we need to really dig into it in Calcasieu Parish to figure out what exactly is going on here because it's not really clear why Calcasieu Parish has a higher suicide rate than the state and then the nation as well. Yeah, I mean, I've thought about this a lot, and I mean, I don't have any real data of any kind except experiential data Mm -hmm. and i mean if i can share some of that i uh i wouldn't consider myself someone who's suicidal and i've always had a healthy dose of positive and negative in my life but not leaned in one direction or the other so on one hand i thought well it's not just external circumstances that can't be all there is to it but as somebody who didn't think themselves suicidal i did go through a period not too too many years ago where i was having suicidal thoughts mm. and i've told this story briefly on this podcast before if you don't if you can bear with me and just tell me what you think about this uh i had an emergency surgery and they put me on a painkiller after that surgery and you know like a lot of people who go have surgery you do what your doctor tells you, you take what your doctor gives you, you don't consider, you don't know, I'm not a doctor. You assume that what it is is the best, but these medications that I was given, these pain reliever, affected my mental state in a way that I've never experienced before. Within week, not even two weeks after getting on that painkiller, now I can say this in retrospect because I've looked at it and got out of that, but I was, I went from, I would say a mentally stable and healthy perspective to being in a depressive hole that I could not climb out of. I mean, I really couldn't get out of it. And I remember uh, feeling, feel lucky now that I I had just a moment of clarity where I asked a friend, I said, Hey, will you for a certain, I don't know how long for a period of time, can I give you, I have rifles and shotguns, you know, I mean, I'm not a, a big gun nut but i do own firearms and i thought i'm having these thoughts about how wonderful life would be if i just weren't here and i said you know will you take these 
I don't know how long I'm going to ask you to keep them, but will you just please take these till I don't have this option in front of me because I'm having these thoughts. And it just kept going day by day, darker, darker, further down. And I remember my friend just cried when I said that. He couldn't believe that I was asking him that. Mm -hmm. You know, he was like, I think it, it hit him that I was really depressed. Do you know what I mean? It took that. I finally realized it was the medication. I, at least I find at some, I got counseling, which was the the number one thing. I mean, I said, okay, I need help. I, I called the counselor, and they they said, well, we can't fit you in. And that was the other thing that was really, I was scared when I when they said, well, we can't fit you in. And I started kind of feeling like panicky, like I've got, I knew I wasn't gonna be able to do this alone. And so I, I kept calling until somebody took me, and uh, that that ended up being a good thing. And I was, even though the counseling itself, I'm not going to lie and say that it was great. I didn't have a wonderful counseling experience, but it was just knowing that there was some place I could go and talk. The end. I mean, that was the most healing part of that. And I was able to get to a perspective where I could say, okay, what changed? What changed in my life to trigger this depression? For me, it ended up being medication. It just threw me off. And I, I quit taking the medication day by day combine that with counseling pulled pulled back through and i got to that i guess stable state of mind where i felt like myself again but i'm one of the lucky ones is what I, i've thought ever since then i thought i'm lucky for whatever reason to have had a spark of clarity and to have the happen to have the right people around me and to be able to get into counseling quickly um because without those things i think i probably could have been like a lot another statistic honestly and i mean i have a wife and kids and all these things to look forward to and hopeful about and it didn't matter nothing mattered so now when i hear people talk about it i guess i have a little bit better i well a better understanding of this hole that people get in where I, when people go i can't i can't believe they would do that i go you don't know what you just can't know right mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot. Um, people will say, um, well, I could never. And it's basically just what you said is that you, you really don't know what you're capable of given a specific set of circumstances. It could be a perfect storm. And all of a sudden, uh, you didn't consider yourself somebody who would um, have suicidal thoughts, but there you are. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess my, my question is, is, is that one of the reasons and i've thought this in our community is is there a, a a i guess a disproportionate amount of um chemical stimulants in our community in our society in calcasieu parish because i mean i've heard i've seen data on that too that there's a an influx of painkillers and opioids you know that are funneling across, across the i-10 border and, and calcasieu parish is kind of a hotbed for that and it made me kind of wonder is there a correlation because that was what i was basically taking that threw me into that state you know and i just wondered if there was a correlation or if there was any data on that if there was any research that i mean again i can only base it on my one experience i know it's it's kaleidoscopic and manifold there's got to be more more reasons than that but it just made me wonder why we were thrown off more you know disproportionately high in Calcasieu Parish well there are a couple of things that um, we do know is that uh, 
when somebody dies by suicide, about 90% of the time, they either have a diagnosed or an undiagnosed mental health disorder. Mm. Um, the undiagnosed ones can be a little tricky, but um, in some areas where they're able to do um, a psychological autopsy, which would typically be done through the coroner's office, you're able to interview survivors, friends, and family members, uh, maybe interview people that uh, work with um, the person who died by suicide too. And so we know that it's about 90%. Um, substance, it's not unusual for people who have uh, attempted or died by suicide to also, um, it's not unusual to see that substance in some way, shape or form has been involved as well. Yeah. Are there, because I mean, we've had other instances in our life, I mean, again, speaking from firsthand experience where it was exactly as you described, there was an uh, undiagnosed mental illness, you know, that the person then starts trying to treat themselves with some sort of drug um, or a variety of drugs and creates these cocktail situations, which they think is thought was going to make the pain go away, this depression, this internal anxiety and, and hurt. But ultimately, that just drug them further close, basically brought them closer to a suicide attempt. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not unusual for people to um, treat an undiagnosed mental health disorder themselves and they might not even realize they're doing it especially if it starts early in their teens it might just be something that they're doing with um pot or with alcohol uh so it might not be they might not be aware of it at the time um you mentioned opioids too uh there's obviously a, a huge opioid problem in the nation and Calcasieu parish is not immune to that yeah what are some things that people need to watch for like that that are triggers you know things that they are or signs where they should be aware like hey you really should be paying more attention to this individual they're, they're at risk because a lot of times it's not apparent i know in our life it was not apparent mm -hmm. we didn't see that as where that was heading you know now in retrospect i mean there's signs for that particular person but you know you don't know what they are sometimes on the front end if you don't if you don't know what to look for mm -hmm. Have y'all seen anything that you could say for sure that you should at least, you know, perk up your attention towards it? So, like, some of the things that you might want to keep an eye out for would be if somebody who normally doesn't struggle with depression, you suddenly see a big decline in their mood or you suddenly see a big increase in their anxiety. Um, any, like of those sudden changes, um, a sudden decrease in hygiene and personal functioning. So if you stop um, paying attention to those regular daily habits that kind of keep you functioning and going, um, there are some people that are pretty functional. Like if you use the term like a functional alcoholic, right? Mm. You can show up and still get the job done and do things, um, but you might be struggling on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. When people don't see it. Um, but if you do see a decline in functioning in general, you might just want to check in and one of the biggest things is like if you just notice something, um, it's really just kind of being like, hey, I just wanted to see if you were okay. Or, I, you know, I noticed things seem a little bit different. And I was just wondering, how are you? Mm. But genuinely asking it. A lot of times in our communications, we say, hey, man, how's it going? And we give the token response, which is fine, good, yeah. okay, right? Awesome, man. How's it going for you? We just give the automatic response versus genuinely asking people, how are you? I'm, I'm really curious and I would love to know how you actually are um, and and being okay with being vulnerable enough with trusted individuals to give that honest response of how you actually are and I'm happy I know it 
If you're like me, then you've got a long wish list of things you need to do around your house, things you just can't get to. It's not that I don't want to do them, but between my responsibilities at work, producing this show, and squeezing in some valuable mental downtime, I can't seem to get around to fixing the small stuff, and the big stuff is just waiting in line. To be honest, it kind of stresses me out. Maybe you're stressing out too. Well, stress no more because I've got good news. My friend, Ben Von Duke, has started a handyman service, and he takes the mystery out of getting these things done. Ben Von Duke is not just some guy that calls himself handy. He knows what he's doing, and he knows a whole lot. Not only is he an experienced and professional carpenter, but he's kind of a duke of all trades. What I love is that he's created an a la carte price list of services so you don't have to worry about getting in your pockets too deep before you're ready. He'll fix your running toilet, install appliances, replace fixtures, install ceiling fans, repair sheetrock and concrete, and a whole lot more than that. Look, I'm not too proud to say this, but sometimes it takes me three times as long to fix something because I've got to get online and search videos just to figure out what tools I need. Then I have to go buy the tools that I don't have and then kind of sort of come home and do the job. I don't have to do that anymore because Ben Von Duke will do it and do it better. On top of all that, he's just a good person, someone you can trust. He's honest, he's kind, and those are things that I value highly, and I bet you do too. You can get a hold of Ben Von Duke, the Duke of all trades, the good old-fashioned way, by using the phone. Call or text Ben at 337-540-1355. That's 337-540-1355. He'll send you his service and price list, and trust me, his prices are more than fair. And do me a favor. When you do message Ben at 337-540-1355, tell him you heard about the Duke of All Trades on Find the Good News. Yeah, I, I think um, another thing too is uh, really listening uh, to what a friend or family member is saying. Um, it's you won't always hear somebody say, "I'm thinking about killing myself." That's not exactly how it sounds most of the time. You might hear, um, "I wish I wasn't here." Um, I wish I could just disappear. And then um, a good thing to ask is, "Well." What do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. um, just probe a little bit deeper. I had a client a while ago who um, I was surprised to hear. Um, I wish I wasn't here. Um, I asked, well, what do you mean by that? And it was just a situation where they didn't want to be, um, I'm trying to be careful to mm. not provide too much information, sure. but they didn't want to be at work or at school where they were. Right. And so we talked about that a little bit, but it wasn't a message about, I'm thinking about killing myself. It was just, they physically didn't want to be where they were right at that moment. Um, but it's not always going to be a situation where somebody comes right out and says, I'm thinking about dying by suicide. Uh, sometimes you will hear that. And I think the important thing too, in that case is really then listen, uh, because we're quick to jump in with our own personal stories, our own personal struggles. Um, we're quick to jump in with advice about, think about your family, think about right. your kids, like you had mentioned. And that there may be a time for that in the future, but that time is not right when that person is sharing that information with you. The what you should do at that moment is just listen and let them tell their story. You know, that, that makes me think of the word compassion. I've always loved the word compassion, but I think sometimes we say it and don't really 
think about it. I mean, I was guilty of it too. And uh, I read a book called Compassion uh, many, many years ago, and it talked a lot about the word and what it actually means. And you know, in a, in a nutshell, the word compassion means to suffer with. And so I thought about that quite a bit. You know, that sometimes we can say, "Oh, be compassionate," and we think of it as just love. You know, but I know from experience and I've seen it with others that compassion goes a little further and that's hard I think in this world you know because we're all very very busy and um, running at a pace that maybe outpaces us and so there's no time for compassion there's time for love and there's time for maybe Mm -hmm. kindness but compassion the visual that pops in my head is, you know, this person who's in a hole and you, you sense that they're in a hole and you, you're standing at the top of the hole saying, I love you. And you're saying, it's going to be okay. There's light up here. You have a mom, you have a dad, you have sisters, brothers, wife, spouse, you name it. You have a job, you have all these positives, but you're at the top of the hole saying it. And what I've come to visualize is that compassion goes down there and doesn't say anything sometimes. Mm-hmm. It just goes down in there with the person and just lets them be, um, be themselves and be comforted by your presence. And I know that's hard. That's very hard to do because it takes more time. You have to slow down. And y'all both mentioned it, and it made me think of another thing is that I, I'm, I've read this term is just deep listening. And that is, we say we listen. We do. We blow through our lives and we, how are you? Fine. It was funny because my friend and I were going to do a job in Brownsville, Texas years ago. And we'd been driving for 10 hours and we stopped at a gas station to get something to eat on the drive and it was really late and the the attendant reminded me of this as, as he says i said how you doing and he goes do you really want to know which is very odd for an attendant to do and i said sure he goes actually i hate this job and he went off he wasn't hollering or anything but he just went off and named like 10 things that he was frustrated about and i said well man i hope i'm sorry that that's that way and I really do hope it gets better for you when you get off and we left and my buddy said man I said, well, you know, I said, honestly, though, he's right. We don't do that. We just do these sort of these niceties. And when and there are so many people floating around harboring these these pains and things like that, those niceties almost mean nothing. They know they're niceties. Yeah. And there's this concept called like the suicide paradox, which is whenever you live in a world that you don't feel connected to Mm. and you just feel like people are being just polite and doing the nice thing, but it's not real. It's not genuine. It's not authentic. It's not actually connection and belonging Um, that pulls you further away and more into the hole of you know, suicidality and suicide risk. Um, Whereas a lot of the things that are curative to that component is going to be that genuine sense of connection and belonging. So the fact that you really provided an opportunity to have an honest answer and for that person to really express his honest thoughts and feelings with you, that is way more truthful connection than it is just to be socially polite with people. Yeah. Do y'all, do you, and I do feel this way. So, I mean, I don't know. I'd love to know what y'all think. I mean, do you feel like that we, we live in that world now where that's a, a lot more of what we're getting is sort of just these little tailored quips and bites and thank yous. How are you? Is, you know, just, 
I, do, I think that to some extent, uh, you know, uh, for me, one of the examples is when uh, you pass somebody in a hallway and they say, how are you doing? And you say, hello. It's it's um, almost become just a greeting. A nod of the hat. Right. Exactly. And people are busy. Hmm. Um, but uh, really taking the time, as you know, we've all said at this point, to listen to your friend. Um, one thing that I've seen, too, is uh, when somebody shares that they're having suicidal thoughts, um, a number of things can happen, but um, it's not unusual for people to downplay the suicidal thoughts. Um, I've heard from um, family sometimes that, oh, that person always says that, or they always talk about that. Mm. And um, that may be true, uh, but for me, there's a difference between attention-seeking and attention to a problem. And I see that a lot with the adolescents is sometimes I'll hear uh, they just want attention. Well, we all like attention. You know, look at me, pay attention to me. Right. Um, but if an adolescent wants attention and they're talking about dying by suicide, more likely what they need is adult attention on an adult level problem that they're not equipped as an adolescent to handle alone. Mm -hmm. There's a difference for me in those two senses of attention. So um, downplaying this person just wants attention is not helpful. Right. You know, I, I, there's so many different things that can stimulate, some, drive someone into these types of thoughts. I mean, I've, I've experienced so many different versions of this in my own life and in my children's lives. You know, my son and I were having a conversation about in that vein this morning. He was talking about some, you know, my son is gay openly gay and uh people have a problem a lot of people have a problem with that and he doesn't have a problem with it and nobody in our family does either but he he said today he said you know he said it's funny what people think that means versus what it really means and he said you know like some people think oh you, you want so much attention he said i actually don't want any attention at all i just want exactly what you want just to be myself just like you are to be yourself but when he was younger, he, he didn't have that. When he was in junior high, uh, it was just cruelty on top of cruelty, layered on top of layer. And I worried every day because I could see these depressive thoughts building. You know, he, he said, and I didn't know because he never told me this, but he said, you know, there were times when I started to believe what other people were saying about me. And I was like, God, and you never said anything. And he said, yeah, he said it was, it was bad. You know, like I would go home and believe what people said and think of myself and then start to go, am I bad? Am I, um, am I, am I, you know, disgusting? Am I, you know, unlovable? Am I an abomination? All the things that he was told. And he said, if that would have went on too much more, he said, yeah, I could have been in that space, mm -hmm. you know, just like anybody else. And I thought, man, how, how cruel we can be to each other. It has so much to do with, our mental health, you know, because he's a mentally healthy person. But I, he said he said that if I wouldn't have come home and had a safe haven, which some children don't, I could be in a totally depressive state even to the now struggling with my worth and my value. I don't know. It just gets me thinking out there how how there's a power I see out in the world where people take a lot of power in belittling other people and mm -hmm. tearing them down and segregating them and putting them into categories and, and belittling them basically devaluing them and we 
And I've never really understood why human beings do that, why we take a power in that, why that elates us to be cruel and sadistic and and, uh, over someone. But at the same time, I do see young people in my son's generation starting to stand up and have like the opposite voices, you know, where they're, they are showing compassion and being sort of revolutionary in that regard and speaking out for people. So I don't know. I just wonder if that isn't something we're going to start seeing where we do see more helpers and givers and lovers and, and kind people out in the world as a, as a result to the nastiness that maybe has, has risen. And maybe that would be of benefit to people who are, you know, going through things like my my son and countless others, you know, where they're harboring these secret pains. Mm. I, I see that in some communities too. You would, you'd asked um, earlier. You'd, we were talking earlier about um, what's going on in Calcasieu Parish that our suicide rate is so high. So there's a number of different. Um, we've got sub communities, and um, the LGBT community, of course, is a sub community within um, Calcasieu Parish, and the suicide rate is higher still in LGBT communities, um, and that's nationwide, worldwide. Um, Same thing with um, veterans, too. Veterans uh, have a higher suicide rate. Uh, What I've noticed just in the uh, number of events that I've done on suicide prevention and education in this area um, is that also the service industry in Lake Charles, um, a higher than expected for me um, suicide rate. Uh, Talking to people who work in the service industry, uh, they all seem to know one, some know four or five people who've died by suicide. Uh, Somebody had mentioned to me that um, going to a funeral can be like a a reunion Mm. almost because they um, have all been touched by it. So I think in some of these sub-communities, and I think the LGBT community is a good one uh, to point out, um, I see it also in the younger um, uh, uh, LGBT um, community that um, they are becoming more uh, compassionate and becoming leaders Mm. in the larger LGBT community as well. Look, as much as I enjoy talking on Find the Good News about making a change, I'd be less than honest if I didn't admit that change is hard sometimes. I should get more quiet time. I should exercise more, walk more, sleep more. And the one thing that I know I should do without a doubt is eat better, healthier, and fresher. But there's a wide berth between knowing something and actually doing something about it. I love to cook, but just like those other should do's, I don't always make the time. This is where I have to tell you about Fresh Fuel because it takes procrastination out of my way. Fresh Fuel is a fresh take on getting healthy, wholesome, and satisfying foods in your life as a kickstarter to critical change that lasts. When you sign up for a Fresh Fuel program at thefreshfuel.com, you'll find tiers for your specific level of can't get up and go. I know I found mine. My friend and founder of Fresh Fuel, Megan Abraham, wants to do one thing and one thing only. She wants you and your family to eat healthier, delicious, home-cooked meals. That's it. With Fresh Fuel, Megan has taken all of the I can't do it out of putting better meals in front of the people you care about. And she's quick to remind that one of those people should include you. Go to thefreshfuel.com and choose the program that's right for you. Megan provides you with the recipes, supply lists, links, videos, goals, and very important here, 
access to the Fresh Fuel Facebook group, where you can connect with other fresh fuelers, real people just like you and me, making the same journey. What I love most about meal prepping with Fresh Fuel is that you don't have to do it alone. Megan is right there with you every step of the way, making the same changes you are. Fresh Fuel isn't a diet. It's a life change for those of us that just have trouble changing. Since I signed up for Fresh Fuel, I'm cooking more, eating better, and honestly, I'm feeling better too. I believe in Fresh Fuel so much that I asked Megan to offer Find the Good News listeners a chance to try it out at a discount. Just go to thefreshfuel.com, select one of Megan's signature programs, Fresh Fuel 28, the 28 Plus, or the 28 Pro plan, and then enter the code GOODNEWS to get 10% off your program. That's 10% off a Fresh Fuel signature program by visiting thefreshfuel.com and entering the code GOODNEWS. Fresh Fuel has been good news in my life, and I'm betting that thefreshfuel.com will be good news for you too. You, you just mentioned something that I've thought about quite a bit, um, the service industry. And when you say that, you're talking about like servers, yep. right? Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard the I've heard that from other people as well. I, I haven't experienced it, but I do hear, well, I have people in my life who are servers, but they're also adults and they're having a hard time mm -hmm. making it, you know, like they don't fully, and I say they very loosely, I know it's not the same for everybody, but just in my experience, the, the sentiments I hear are, it's hard. You know, I, I work, I can barely pay my bills, cost of living is going up in our area, you know, mm -hmm. to find a place just to shelter, you know, to shelter yourself, just to find a decent living situation. Um, no health care to be spoken of, but may have mental health issues that they can't pay for to have any treatment. Um, then when they are getting help, they when they're off, they're spending time seeking help you know, from other people, mm -hmm. there's a feeling of, I can't make it on my own. I always need help. And so it becomes where their value gets wrapped up in just the, the cycle of surviving, you know, and I, and I get it. Some of the things I hear older people say, or people in my generation say is like, well, you know, that's just life. And I'm like, how easy that is for some people, but just life is different for everybody. You know, not everybody has the same education, the same resources, mm -hmm. you know, same circumstances. We're, we are some, to some degree, you know, victims of circumstance to, you know, luck. So for me, one, one of the ways that I became uh, very involved in suicide prevention and education in this area was, um, through, uh, personal contact with one person who, um, works in the service industry, uh, and um, he introduced me to a number of other people in the service industry as well. And that's what really got me thinking about um, how do we handle, and I'm going to be very careful here uh, because we don't really know what's going on in Calcasieu Parish. Um, I have some ideas. One idea is that uh, we tend to talk mental health professional to mental health professional. We mm. talk about what's going on with suicide, right? And um, we seem to be missing uh, getting into the communities where uh, people are directly impacted by it, the service industry, LGBT, where people, where the suicide that rate is higher than normal uh, so we're um, very comfortable 
talking professional to professional, but when you um, are not including the people who are directly impacted, then we're missing a huge piece of it. And so yeah. that's some of the things that I'm hoping to do with the with the Out of the Darkness Walk, including some of these communities, including veterans, including um, first responders, including LGBT, um, so that they can be brought into the mix. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about the Out of Darkness Walk. So how, how many times has that been done in Calcasieu Parish, that walk? Um, I'm not exactly sure how many times we've done it here in um, in Lake Charles, uh, but we it's been uh, held for a number of years. Okay. Um, it is the single largest fundraiser for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. It's an annual fundraiser. September is Suicide uh, Awareness Month, and um, so the walks are held in cities all over the nation, usually within a six-week span mainly during September. And um, so we're really looking to make this a successful walk and have as many people come out. We're trying to be family friendly, uh, pet friendly. And the reason that um, I I will always mention family friendly and pet friendly because family friendly, what I've noticed um, with a number of the events that I've done with suicide prevention and education is that this topic alone, uh, there's stigma with uh, mental health issues. The stigma goes way up when you're talking about suicide. And um, it's hard to get people to come out to events that are um, supporting a very worthy cause, too. Uh, I think there's um, an idea that it's not going to be family friendly or that any event or any discussion around suicide is going to be uh, very serious. It's a serious topic, but um, for me, we need to talk about it. And we need to talk about it a lot. And when um, we do that, sometimes it can become casual. And I don't think that's a bad thing. So the events themselves can be um, enjoyable, even though the topic is serious. Yeah. And then pets, we're really trying to involve pets because people are likely to come out if their pet can come too. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's interesting. So, I mean, as far as mental health goes, I mean, how effective are pets? Right? I Absolutely. Mean- I think. I mean, I, I've, I know that to be comforted, sometimes just a non-judgmental presence of a, of a creature or a pet is very soothing to a lot of people's mental state. I mean, I've heard that from people close to me. So one of the risk factors for um, suicidal thought or behavior is isolation. Mm. And so if you have a pet, um, even if you feel isolated from humans, you're going to feel a little less isolated when you go home at the end of the day. Um, And we talked about this as well, is that people want to fix the problem. So they start sharing their own experiences or uh, telling you what you should do, which likely is not helpful in the moment but a pet is not going to do that <laughs> right right just yeah, the, they always listen and they are very non-judgmental right yeah <laughs> that's that's absolutely true i think that uh in, i know i was lucky i really was i think that all the time i was lucky to have had the right people around me um and i can remember nobody knowing what to do i mean my wife my best friend really didn't know what to do you know she couldn't and really the truth of the matter is there was nothing for her to do that's the the crazy thing i mean i I think back on that i go what could she have done nothing it was nothing for me there was i don't know what she could have done she could have pushed me to go to counseling which she was a part of that process the conversation which i was lucky to have her there just to be there and, and to hear when i was willing to share what was going on for her just to be there to accept that you know. Well, that's why I'm, I'm always happy to have a conversation about um, 
suicide, um, which sounds strange. I realize that. But um, we need to learn how to talk about it and what to do because there are things that we can do. Um, so the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, they pay for, uh, there are two trainings that um, are available in this area um, and nationally, um, Safe Talk and Assist. And Safe Talk really uh, teaches people how to listen mm. and what to do in a situation when somebody is sharing that they're thinking about dying by suicide. Um, and that's one of the things that the walk helps provide because it is a fundraiser. And um, so some of that money is going to come back locally too because they have to pay for a number of these different types of trainings. Um, they're not handled um, or not uh, given at any one particular agency. Uh, they're not given on a, a specific schedule, but a lot of there are a lot of trainers in this area who can do those two specific trainings because when somebody tells you that they're thinking about they're having suicidal thoughts they're having suicidal behavior um a lot of times people just don't know what to do um or they're focused on a response like they feel anxious with the information that you just gave them and so they're trying to find a response that helps mm. them feel better versus mm. what is actually helpful to you so th ah. there's a whole lot of good intention there but it's just like i feel really ramped up with what you just gave me and sat in front of me and now i need to do something to quiet that and so mm. that's kind of like what kevin's talking about in terms of like sometimes we offer solutions but that's not always what that person needs in that time right we're human beings sometimes we just need to be with one another and like that's the that's the solution yeah no that's true I, I totally agree with that I've talked about that a little bit on the show before uh, there's people this this office has sort of become a space for just being with people in an odd way um, wasn't really intended for that but we've had people who've come through here just randomly and uh, one one man particularly actually if you look behind me there's a note pinned to the the whiteboard up there and I keep it there because he every once in a while he stops here uh, over the last couple of years and met him this man by chance but when he comes that's literally all he wants to do is just talk He's got a really troubled life and has real problems like real physical tangible needs that aren't he can't get above water but when he does come what he wants to do is talk he just wants to talk and what he told me was it honestly he just wants to be heard mm -hmm. and that's enough for just a little while it gets him through to just know that like i'm not telling him well you know i mean i could because i could listen to his story and go well man that's jacked up you know or you should do this or you should do that or why just i don't do any of that with this one person and that's why we talk you know and it's a weird strange circumstance but that's all he ever wants and i think he told me one time he was telling me his basically his life story, like something from his childhood. And I'm like, we really don't know each other. You know, I thought mm -hmm. this person's telling me this this very intimate story. And he shared this story. It was really painful. But then he also would tell some stories of that made him laugh or, or happy memories. It was just a mixed bag, you know. And he even said, he goes, man, I haven't told anybody that story. And, you know, I went home to my wife and said, you know, he, it's nothing stellar. You know, you're going to write a book about it. But he just wanted what I got from it was that he just wants to know that the things that he's been through in his life mattered, that his existence matters, that somebody knows he was born to be heard. And in a way that is the same as being seen too. whenever yeah. we truly hear people, we're also seeing them. Yeah. And so as in Brami, you just 
underscore what I was thinking, um, which is not unusual. <laughs> um, but when you're talking about being heard, I see this um, with adolescents. And um, for me, it's a little bit of an issue because when we are a teenager, um, our issues and what we need to be heard about and what we need to be seen about may be relationship problems. They may be, I'm struggling in school. Um, I'm struggling with maybe an LGBT um, identity. Um, it can be very serious, um, what we would consider adult level problems too. But when we're talking to an adolescent as an adult, we're thinking about, well, my problems are, um, I'm struggling with my boss or there's problems at work mm. or my car just broke down. Um, I'm not sure I can make my mortgage payment this week. So we've had such a disconnect from what it's like to be a teenager that we don't view their problems as real problems and they are your problems are your problems given your world mm. and so um, if you went back to being a teenager today and those um, seemingly insignificant problems compared to what you think you're dealing with in your own life they'd be at the same level yeah. they're at the same level and so when we listen especially to teenagers to adolescents we need to disconnect from judgment and um, our own perspective and really try to take on their perspective yeah that's difficult I think for some I really do I Oh gosh, I just think about this all the time because I, I think about it with my own children, how valuable it is for them to have a place where they don't feel judged and where they can talk about things that they would normally keep inside. I don't want I don't never wanted my kids to feel like they couldn't bring something to the table because it wasn't gonna be accepted or because it was, you know, different than the family culture. Um, I've always tried to take the approach that they were individuals. You know, and that I'm, I'm, I'm maybe there to shepherd them and stu be their stewards, but not control every aspect of their thinking and their life. That being said, I mean, we still, it still entered our home. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy. You're driving down the road. Everything is going just fine. You're listening to the new episode of Find the Good News in Your Car, and you're all stoked about trying out this zipper merge thing you've been hearing about when all of a sudden you hear that sickening tap on your windshield that's just a little too loud. I've got some bad news for you. You've just got yourself a rock chip. Unfortunately, I've got some worse news. If you don't take care of that rock chip, it's going to turn into a crack. But I do have some good news too. You don't have to have a rock chip or a crack because I've got a way for you to take care of it ASAP. If you go to asapglassco.com right now, you can stop that chip from winding across your windshield like the Calcasieu River. I used to be terrible about getting a rock chip, saying I'll take care of that later, and then later turns into this irritating crack that just spreads from one side of my windshield to the other. I should have taken care of it ASAP by scheduling a repair with ASAP Glass. ASAP Glass is local, right here in Sulphur, Louisiana, and they're mobile. Even better, you can get a quote right from your mobile phone at ASAPGlassCo.com. ASAP Glass is owned and operated by two of my best friends, lifelong friends, Dan and Kayla Smith. Dan the Glass Man will make sure his team of glass technicians gets to your job ASAP and make sure it's done right so you can keep that windshield crack out of sight. If you do get that rock chip and you don't take care of it ASAP, that's okay. 
ASAP Glass does complete windshield replacements. Remember, ASAP Glass is mobile, so you don't have to worry about finding time to drop your vehicle off at their shop. You get your quote at ASAPGlassCo.com. Make your appointment with Kayla, and then before long, an ASAP Glass van is on its way to your location. That's it. I know you're probably looking at a rock chip right now. Don't wait. Take care of it ASAP. Go to ASAPGlassCo.com on your mobile device and get a quote. That's ASAPGlassCo.com. And make sure to tell Dan and Kayla you heard about ASAP Glass on Find the Good News. And by the, by the time they're, um, they're teenagers, they're spending the bulk of their time outside of the family. Yeah. Um, but I think what you say is very, very important um, because sometimes what I, um, I think I'm seeing is that it's not unusual, perhaps, for um, parents to see their kids as an extension of themselves uh, yeah. rather than a complete whole individual on their own. Right. And so it sounds like that's absolutely what you provided at home. Um, they are getting the bulk of their time, the bulk of their um, interaction with people is outside of the home though yeah. but it is important to um, be able to see um, what the people that you're raising as this is a separate person from a me. separate person yeah. yeah that's something that I I've, you know I kind of makes me smile to think about I always thought that was fascinating to have that perspective mm-hmm. that this this being and that's another word that I love is the word being because I, I think when I and I say it a lot people probably get sick of it but I even talk about my children as, as beings, because when I think of them as beings that I have been, uh, I mean, I can, you can make it, I guess, stellar or holier than thou or sacred, but I think of it as, as, as a being that I've been entrusted with the, to me, you know, and, and whatever my capacity is to watch that kind of grow and flourish on its own. And I say it again, and it, I guess that for me, that language is healthy and maybe it's not, I don't know, but it helps me see them that way, you know, and let them sort of blossom up. You may see traits, you may see mm-hmm. echoes of yourself in them, you know, it's in, from the environment they grew in, and hopefully that's a good thing. But they don't need to be another you. I see that a lot, and I wanted to bring this up because I'm a religious religion enthusiast is the term that I've kind of landed on. I'm fascinated by religion, um, not one particular. I just I, I find religion fascinating, and I wonder if y'all have any input on how religion is both good and bad in the subject of suicide. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, so sometimes it can be a protective factor, right? So if you have a value system that contributes to your sense of worth and your concept of like meaning of life and Mm -hmm. how you exist um, in the world and stuff like that can be really helpful. Um, Sometimes though, and you might help me articulate this better, sometimes what can happen is if we focus so much on uh, like my religion or spirituality is telling me that I should be a certain way and I don't feel that I am, Mm. whenever there's that sense of like disconnect with it, then it just kind of drives further that like, well, there must be something wrong with me or I'm not worthy or anything like that. And it kind of pulls you a little bit more in that direction of like, I'm not feeling connected. And if I don't feel connected by other humans, that's one thing. But if I don't feel connected to my higher power, like, yeah. like wow, like that's a that's a big heavy right. feeling to contend with if you're having that experience. Yeah. So it can be a tricky thing with counseling because one thing that we know is that you can't hold yourself out as something that you're not. And so um, 
what I've noticed with students is that um, if their faith is important to them, if they're strong in their faith, they want to bring that into the sometimes want to bring that into the session. And so um, I always caution them that there's a special um, uh, certification for that. Um, it's pastoral counseling. You need to go through specific training in order to be able to balance um, faith in general so that you're not bringing your own personal views or personal judgment into counseling. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a tricky situation for counseling. I can see how it could be a tricky situation in families as well, sure. especially if a family is very, very strong in their faith, that um, how do you uh, help a being, how do you help <laughs> yeah, a being, you help a being? Uh, find their own way, become uh, a complete person themselves while still guiding them in a way that you think is appropriate? It's not, there are no easy answers. Yeah. Um, it's a tricky situation and it's an ongoing, ongoing conversation. I think ongoing conversations in general, um, that's what's important with uh, suicide is that it's not about a single conversation about um, are you thinking about killing yourself? Um, it's a series of conversations about uh, faith, about family, about what your values are, those types of things. Um, those types of ongoing conversations um, can help uh, be a protective factor as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I find all that, what y'all said, very interesting. I mean, it is something that I've seen both be both painful and a blessing to some people, you know, uh, if they, if they feel like the culture, I always think of it as an organism, you know, like a religion is like an organism. And if you have been a part of that organism, you know, as a child, and then, you know, you become a teenager and you start your, and, and then an adult and your identity begins to form, you know, the self that is you, the separate person, your own self. And then you find that the organism that you've been a part of now no longer, for what reason, one reason or another, no longer accepts this person that you are, you know, it's like, I'm sitting here playing a pill, silly buddy, you get plucked away. Right. Right. And now all the stuff that you did your whole life, the lifeblood of who you are, no longer says you're not, you don't belong in the organism anymore. And so you're out there all alone. You know? So I, I think I can give two contrasting examples of the impact of faith on um, suicidal thought and behavior. So uh, for black women, um, the suicide rate is actually fairly low. Really? Um, and what the research has shown is that um, generally um, there's two uh, contributing reasons for that. One is it may not be unusual for a black woman to be seen as the matriarch of the larger family. Hmm. And so that sense of family and um, duty and commitment um, is protective. And also being strong in their faith. Um, of course, not all black women, but it's not unusual for black women to be strong in their faith. And that's also a protective factor as well. Um, for LGBT youth, um, the so on the contrast, uh, sometimes, and I think you mentioned, um, you know, maybe your son got some message, messages like this um, through school or through the community. Uh, it's not unusual for LGBT youth to get the message that uh, based on my faith, you are bad or yeah. you are wrong. Right. Um, and um, so, of course, in that situation, that makes it much more challenging and puts uh, that child at risk. Sure. At greater risk. Sure. Um, you know, something as we've been talking, I've thought about, you know, the stigma of suicide. And I mean, even still, I feel it like when I mean, I'm talking about it openly here. You know, but at the same time, there are certain places where I go, well, I shouldn't say that I should just say that we're just having a little trouble right now. 
in our family. And so you don't say, like, if you have cancer, you say, oh, my, my mother has cancer. Mm-hmm. Or if you say, my father passed away, you say, you just say it. You'd say what happened. But when it's suicide, there's a stigma. I mean, it really is. And I got to thinking about this months ago, and today it just kind of popped back up, was how often suicide gets tacked on to other things you know, when we think of a terrorist, we think of a suicide bomber, and then we deem we immediately we go, well, that's terrible, suicide bomber, you know, evil, bad, whatever. But we've stuck the word suicide on there. You know, I mean, go back to World War II, kamikaze pilots, they're suicide pilots, and we think, oh my gosh, that's you know, an attack, it's bad, suicide, and so it's it's become a dirty word oh, it was already a dirty word associated with war and atrocities and things like that and it makes me think that that's a part of the problem is just the way we talk about it it's it's definitely part of the problem and the way we talk about it and the fact that we don't talk about it too so uh one of the shifts that i'm seeing is the way that we talk about suicide so i used to um as you still hear when people talk about suicide um the term committed suicide. Mm. I've shifted my language um, and there is a shift toward uh, talking about a, about die by suicide, something along uh, uh, along those lines. Uh, committed suicide has a connotation of um, something that's bad. Uh, you commit a murder, you commit a bank robbery. And um, I'm, I've talked a lot with people about this and I imagine this may sound Uh, to your listeners like here we go again with a politically correct language but the fact is if we can just make small shifts in our language so that people uh, feel more comfortable talking about suicide then um, that's a win for us it's a big win Mm, that's good to know that's something to consider I didn't really ever consider that but you're right we committed this like it's a crime right Um, and it's a small shift it's a shift that took me a while to to make because we are used to saying committed suicide the other way I see um, stigma as well is when somebody has attempted suicide or somebody has died by suicide so if somebody has attempted suicide it's not unusual for them to not want to talk about it Mm. or the family talks about um, you know my daughter's problem yes. or the issue. Yes. Uh, when somebody has died by suicide, uh, sometimes the family will um, maybe shift the narrative mm-hmm. uh, to alter what may have happened, or we don't talk about Uncle Tom. Mm. Um, uh, so that uh, suicide is something that we, we don't talk about. And again, the more that we can talk about it, the, the more likely we are to reduce um, the stigma. Okay. Yeah, that's something I, I honestly think I need. I, I always like to look for a takeaway from these talks I have with people, and that's a good one for me is to sh- just dial the language in differently, you know, new words. I mean, I do believe that that's, I've done that with other things, and that's one that I hadn't considered, you know, because you're right. It, it's and, and it's odd. I think back, I remember in high school, and I can't remember the, the young man's name, but I remember someone at our school killed themselves. I didn't know them, but I knew of them. And I remember walking around the parking lot at my job when I got off that night and just crying and crying and crying. Like, why, why didn't I know this person? And there's some little ping in the back of my head, like maybe just one conversation could have changed it. And I remember having this feeling as a kid that this is going to sound ridiculous, that suicide's illegal. I know that sounds ridiculous now as an adult. How can something be illegal? But that's part of what Kevin was talking about when you use the word commit, right? Yeah. You commit a crime. Yeah, right. When you commit something, that's usually what you get arrested for. Right. And so it kind of 
um, whether you realize it or not, and in your case, not, right? It just, it kind right. of snuck up on you into this concept of the word that I'm using mm. created this situation where I thought that it was illegal. Yeah, and I'm not even kidding. I sound, I sounds ridiculous now that I say it out loud. I'm really serious. That makes me feel kind of foolish Language to admit is that. But I did, I thought. Language is important. <laughs> yeah, he, he committed a crime. Like, And I've even remember hearing people talk about a suicide attempt and then they like you see the police and i guess your mind core as a young person i correlated that with oh they've committed a crime because they tried to kill themselves they've committed a crime and i guess i didn't even i'll be honest i'm going to be 100 percent honest how, how important compassion is when families are going through this um in our case the individual that tried to kill themselves uh, tried to overdo it by overdosing on an over-the-counter drug, you know, uh, Benadryl. And they would have been successful, honestly, with as many Benadryl as they'd taken. The, the way our family was treated at the hospital was awful. It was awful. I mean, I, I remember thinking how the staff was not trained to handle this. And because it was a suicide attempt related to a drug, there was this immediate assumption that the individual was an addict. They treated it like a garbage, like addict. Oh, well, you did this to yourself. We don't feel sorry for you. You're bothered. We really felt like a bother. It's the truth. I mean, I'm being 100% honest. It was, and I remember particularly just going this. So you're adding on top of this pain that everybody in this family is feeling you're adding to it you're not helping take it away you're actually adding to and it wasn't until afterwards whenever um you know the staff i think later you know after the suicide attempt you know they showed compassion it was then that the compassion began to emerge you know but in the beginning it wasn't and it was actually i remember thinking because there was a, a you know, there was a likelihood that they may not survive this attempt that was possible or, or have brain damage or anything or something like that. And I, I remember thinking, like, so this will be the way this will be. Mm-hmm. This is how this will be. It will be painful and more pain because the people are treating this like, oh, you're a suicide attempt. It was like a stigma immediately. Right. And I'm happy. I know it. Do you ever hear a good song on the radio that just moves you? Maybe it stirs your heart, but then it starts to move your body too? Do people around you say things like, you've got rhythm, or where do you get your energy? Well, I've got a secret for you that might be your dance coming out, and the Whistle Stop Dance Sport might be just the job your dance is looking for. I know your first thought, but I don't have any dance experience. That's one of the good things about this opportunity. You don't need years of dance experience to do it. What Whistle Stop Dance Sport is searching for is a multi-dimensional talent. What does that mean? Okay, I'll tell you. You see, dance goes far beyond formal training, though that is a plus. Being able to dance means you can take life by the hand and let it put one arm around your waist and move to the rhythms that flow your way. To be a dance instructor at Whistle Stop Dance Sport, you'd need to have experience working with children, good rhythm, positive energy, and a personality for people. Dance Sport works to enrich children's lives by offering social, emotional, behavioral, and cognitive skills that naturally build confidence. Through dance, these children develop self-esteem, express themselves creatively, and strengthen critical thinking skills. 
Does the thought of affecting young lives in a positive way stimulate your mind, your heart? Do you want to do something that matters, something that could really change the course of a young person's life? Then maybe that's why you heard about this dance instructor position with Whistle Stop Dance Sport. You can send your resume or letter to Whistle Stop Dance Sport. 1518 18th Street, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 70601. That's 1518 18th Street, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 70601. Training dates for this position start in July 2019. So if you feel you may be right, don't wait to send in your resume. If you'd like to hear more about this position, call Whistle Stop Dance Sport at 337-515-7577. That's 337-515-7577. And if you do call, do me a favor and let them know you heard about this on Find the Good News. So uh, a couple different thoughts about training and then also about training. So um, <laughs> one of the things that Ramey and I have talked about recently is the fact that uh, for KCREP accredited counseling programs, and KCREP is just an accrediting body for counseling programs, for master's level counseling programs, um, there's, and I was shocked to recently find this out, only 2% of uh, KCREP accredited counseling programs include, uh, formally include suicide um prevention and education training in the programs i was shocked yeah like as in like a whole entire class really so we might get a little bit of training as like one section of one module in the structure of a greater class but the two percent he's talking about it's like it's with the idea of like their the two percent are getting an entire class devoted to crisis intervention training prevention etc right so what you get is you get counselors coming out of um the majority of programs in the United States um, who, when somebody s says uh, they're sharing suicidal thoughts, suicidal behavior, um, they're really terrified. What do I do? How do I handle this? Um, most programs include some amount of information, but to have an entire class would be um, of benefit to the profession. Mm. Uh, so back to training. Um, so training um, also to one of the reasons that I really want to, I think it's important to uh, get sub-communities in Kakashi Parish involved in suicide prevention and education and also in the Out of the Darkness Walk um, too is because um, it's not necessarily going to be a counselor who um, someone shares their suicidal thought with. It might be a first responder. Um, it could be um, an ER doctor, an OBGYN. It's not unusual for OBGYNs to be the first person to um, notice that a woman um, is uh, in need of uh, treatment for depression. So there's any number of people, um, educators, um, educators in, in the classroom, um, our clinic, the Kedora Counseling Clinic, has a collaboration with Sam Houston High School in Moss Bluff. And um, so we train their peer leaders to talk to students about issues that might contribute to um, suicidal thought, like bullying. And then we also provide counseling if somebody does say that they're thinking about dying by suicide or if they have an issue that's too large for a peer, obviously, to handle as well. Um, educators, all educators need training on suicide. Uh, Are they getting suicide. that, educators? Do they have that well, kind of training? Well, I can tell you that um, the, yes, 
they will be. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, there was an act called the Jason Flat Act, uh, which required uh, two hours, I believe, of um, suicide training, prevention education training in the state of Louisiana. Um, that was uh, tracked and enforced um, by parish. And so um, the our field ambassador for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, um, Ken Brown, uh, wrote the legislation to strengthen the Jason Flat Act and require tracking for it. And so that was actually signed by the governor the beginning of July. And so um, they will be getting training. The training already existed, um, and uh, you know the the timeline of when um, each parish will be instituting that. I'm not um, clear on that, uh, but. The training will be tracked um, and enforced, and also that um, uh, it was House Bill 53 that will also require that the um, national suicide text line, talk line, text line, and um, I'll, the United Way, um, I believe, uh, local um, suicide uh, text and talk line will be included in the back of all school IDs as well. Wow, really? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's going to happen here in Calcasieu Parish? It's going to happen all throughout the state. Oh, okay, great. That's awesome. I, I didn't know that. What uh, Are there any resources for parents, like just like workshops or lectures or things that parents can go to other than just, you know, get a pamphlet, go to the website? Is there like anything like that? you know, that parents can be a part of, you know, just because, you know, as a parent, you know, they've got classes for how to raise your baby, how to change a diaper, right. you know, all this stuff. But when they, they get in to, you don't, it's just not something you hear. You don't hear it talked about, you know, hey, you also as a parent, you know, this is something you need to know about too. You need to watch for other things like that. There are really any number of uh, national um, resources, local resources mm -hmm. too. Look, I'd be happy to get you um, some of that information if we want to put it on your Facebook yeah. page. Um, the uh, safe talk and assist trainings that I was mentioning before too, when there's enough interest for a group, really anybody can attend those trainings. You go oh. to safe talk first and then that's about a four hour training. And then um, there, the assist training is a two-day training as well. So, and you don't have to be mm -mm. affiliated with an organization or entity. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, that's good news. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's actually something I would be interested in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, because you know, you can be a, you can say, I'm going to be a good listener, and you think you are, but you might not be. You may be a good listener, but you may not know what to do next right right for sure and we, we've been talking about stigma and we've been talking about the fact that people don't want to talk about um suicide i want to circle back to that in a second and um so it's true for everybody what do you do when somebody says that they're um having suicidal thoughts a lot of times we just don't know what to do yeah we're just not sure where to go and that's and that of course feeds right into the so i don't know what to do so i'm going to share my story and i'm going to fix it and um so that combination is a uh, it's a, a challenging combination. Yeah. So can we talk about the suicide walk again, the sure. out of darkness walk? I'd like for people to really get a, a, an idea of like what they can do, how they sign up, where they need to go. You know, what, what's the point of it? I mean, yes, it's awareness, but I mean, you know, you're trying to raise money too. We are right? trying to raise money. It, it is a fundraiser. Um, it, the, out of the, the Lake Charles out of the darkness walk um, will be September, Saturday, September 21st. Um, at 10 o'clock, we will have a, a brief half an hour ceremony. Uh, registration will start at nine, so it's registration at nine. Uh, the ceremony ceremony will be at 10 o'clock. 
The walk itself uh, starts at 10.30, goes from 10.30 to 12.30. It starts at the amphitheater uh, at the Civic Center, and it's about 1.36 miles, so less than one and a half miles, and we end back at the amphitheater as well. Um, right now, what we really need is we need people to sign up. Yeah. Um, on our Facebook page, and you can go to the Facebook page for all the information, it's the Lake Charles Out of the Darkness Walk. Um, just put it in Facebook, and you'll, you'll find us. Um, we have... About 205 people who've indicated they're, they're going, and um, over a thousand have indicated that they're interested. And so we really need to turn those people who are interested yeah. into people Sign who ups. are going. Right? right. And I know that people probably think that oh, it's still two months away, but uh, the the higher um, we need clearer numbers now about how many people are coming because sure. we're going to have things like we need to have water available um, we'll have uh, counselors available too um, and so we need to make sure that we know how many we actually need yeah um, we're going to have uh, what the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention refers to as honor beads. And so each color represents your personal connection to suicide. And so um, if you've lost, um, if you've personally lost somebody to suicide, or if you're a supporter of uh, the suicide prevention and education cause, um, each um, color is going to help identify um, what your connection is. We, for the, um, I've mentioned pets now a number of different times, but there's a specific uh, program we have called Pause for Prevention. And so um, if you come and it's a $10 donation at the, the day of the event, and then your uh, pet will get a specific bandana that you can put in your pet. Okay. And so these are the types of things we need to know now, really. Yeah. And yeah. so we really need to turn those thousand people into a thousand, a thousand people are thinking about it to a thousand people who are also going as well yeah. um, so what we need what you can do is you can either go to afsp.org slash Lake Charles and you can sign up or just go to our Facebook page Lake Charles out of the darkness walk um, so uh, then sign up please indicate that you're going on the Facebook page and then like it and share it so that your friends and family know that you're going to. Uh, when you do sign up at afsp.org slash Lake Charles, um, you can create a team. You can uh, decide then what your donation amount will be, um, what your goal is. And you don't have to donate at the time, but there's opportunities then for you to, if you want to uh, set your goal for $250, then you create your team. Maybe other people want to contribute. Um, you can find any number of different ways to reach that goal too. But we definitely need people to go to the Facebook page, like Charles Out of the Darkness Walk, um, create a team, like it, share it. Yeah. Look, and I mean, I'll just say this. We, we do a lot of event promotion through our branding agency, and this is very common for our area to wait to the last minute to, uh, to do a day of sign-ups. <laughs> I'm seeing that we, um, for the, the K-Door Counseling Clinic, one thing we're trying to do is establish a, a formal suicide program in, in the clinic. And so we, I actually had um, a suicide prevention education fundraiser for uh, my clinic in May. And uh, we were using um, a GoFundMe. Uh, we use McNeese's GoFundMe, which is called Grow Blue. Okay. And um, then we had, uh, so that was our fundraiser, but we had a fundraiser for our fundraiser, Panorama. And I was, <laughs> as I've gotten used to doing. And, um, 
and I've noticed that um, yeah we we tend to like to wait um, I'm just gonna ask people not to wait yeah until last that's very important this. you guys it's need to organize resources yeah, for the event. yeah we just we really need um, a great turnout uh, I believe it was the city of Thibodeau had over a thousand people show up I think it was a couple years in a row for their um, out of the darkness walk so um, Thibodeau is much smaller than Lake Charles so I think if they can do it I think we can do it too uh, well we we've created a team you know find the good news team mm-hmm. and you know we had started out with a goal of to raise five hundred dollars i honestly didn't know how quickly or how long that would take but it was very quick people were i saw through their donations that people cared and so we changed the goal to a thousand dollars so hopefully we'll raise a thousand dollars you know through facebook or I, it's really pretty painless to do i mean it was it's very easy to set it up yeah i saw you, you when you um posted yours uh it, the the dollar amount went up and up every week i may need to talk to you separately about how how that happened because that was pretty impressive <laughs> it but. did I, it kind of trickled out but i haven't been, haven't uh, to be and uh, to be fair i haven't pushed it as hard as i i will when this episode mm-hmm. comes out which is coming out next wednesday you know this will be the 50th i told people we were going to do something special for the 50th episode and this just you know it's close to home for me uh, as close to home as it gets and uh, I definitely want to support it in any way I can. I've encouraged other guests who have been on the show to come out and walk as a part of the team. I'm seeing the same thing that you guys probably see though. People go, yeah, I'll be there. They don't realize they need to go sign up and do the extra steps. So I'm kind of having that same vibe that I get from other events that there are going to be people who show up but um, you know, it's hard to tell. It's just it, it's, it's it's a strange thing in our market. Maybe every market. I don't know. It is, and I think it's a topic too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If somebody has a choice between going to um, uh, a walk for suicide prevention and education or going to a pool party, it's true. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't know that there's much of a. a I, I'm not sure how much of a challenge that is to try to decide which one they, they want to do, but the topic is very important because there is such a problem here in Calcasieu Parish, currently 42% above the national rate. So even if you think, well, this doesn't directly impact me, I don't know anybody who um, is uh, thinking about suicide or there's nobody in my family who's died by suicide, um, you're probably wrong about the mm. thoughts. Yeah. Um, and even if it's not somebody in your immediate family or not one of your, you, it may be one of your friends. It could be the, the neighbor that you see every day when um, he or she's walking to get their mail. Um, you don't know what somebody's personal experiences it experiences and until you do. Um, so at 42% above the national rate, you know somebody who's thinking about dying by yeah. suicide. And I would say that to the listeners of this show. I mean, I'm talking to you guys out there right now who are listening to this right now. Um, you know people if you're a listener of this show because there are people who have been on this show and they've talked openly about it whose lives have been changed and touched by suicide. I mean, even post being on this show. I mean, right now. And, you know, their lives are changed forever. Mm-hmm. You know, the family's lives have changed forever. And, and they were already talking about this and it came and touched their lives again. You know, so it's, it's real. This isn't just... Um, something that's just out there floating around in the ether this is a real thing that's touching real people it is and we keep coming back to stigma um so when uh somebody does have a family member or a friend who dies by suicide uh, because people don't always know what to do or what to say um sometimes they won't say it or do anything mm. and then combine that with the fact that the family may want to downplay or uh, change the narrative 
slightly about what had happened um, so we don't have that type of conversation. Um, what I think I'm seeing with events like this is um, we may not get um, survivors coming out to events like this and that's mm -hmm. fine everybody's personal journey is their own if you have a family member who's died by suicide and you're just not ready to come and share that information that is fine that's completely understandable that is your decision um, if you have other family members who are um, in a different place and are able to come out and just want to be a part of it that would be great too maybe you're not personally uh, ready or able to create a team but maybe um, a cousin is or an aunt is able to do that um, you can share as much or as little as you want to uh, we're not th the day with this specific event with the Lake Charles out of the darkness walk um, is not going to necessarily be a day of we're our ceremony is only half an hour long and the rest of the time we're gonna be walking so you can choose to do whatever you want to during that time okay well, that's great I, I encourage anybody and look I mean I again I, as we mentioned I'm having trouble getting official signups but if you do feel like you want to sign up if you're listening to this you know i'm going to be out there i believe my wife's going to be out there my son and maybe my daughter will be out there too um so you can you're welcome to come stand by us and you know and walk with us you know you'll, you'll have some people you know out there you know you don't have to go out there and be alone mm -hmm. um i appreciate y'all coming and i'm happy I know this episode's Fishing for Goodies Fishbowl sponsor is Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center in Sulphur, Louisiana. I don't know what you look for when you travel, but one of the things I look for when I'm putting together my itinerary is a unique museum or gallery in the city I'm traveling to. I do this almost every time I go to a new city, but if I'm being honest, I'm guilty of not always doing that very thing right here at home in Sulphur, Louisiana. That's really a shame because we have one of the most interesting, historically relevant, and culturally rich corners in any city in the country about two minutes from where I'm sitting right now. I'm talking about the Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center. Have you ever really thought about why our city is named Sulphur? They've got a permanent exhibit on the history of the sulphur industry that answers that simple question and more. You really get a full scope of just how important the sulphur mining industry was to the development of Southwest Louisiana and the impact it had on the rest of the world. Yes, the rest of the world. On the same property, right next door to the museum, is the Henning Cultural Center, presenting some of the most interesting, modern, and culturally relevant local art shows I've ever seen. My dear friend Tom Trahan and the Brimstone Historical Society have really worked hard to give us this treasure, and it's a multifaceted jewel that I plan to take advantage of more often. You don't have to wonder what their hours are, or how to get there, or what shows are coming up. Just go to brimstonemuseum.org, like I did, and subscribe to their mailing list right there on the homepage. That's brimstonemuseum.org. Tom will make sure you start getting the announcements for each and every new show at the gallery. But you don't have to wait for the mail to arrive to enjoy this historical local treasure. You don't have to be guilty, like me, of overlooking a local wonder that conveniently sits next to the Grove, one of the most beautiful walking parks in southwest Louisiana. Drop in and say hi to Tom for me. Tour the museum and center, and make sure to tell Tom that you heard about Brimstone Museum on Find the Good News. Now, let's take that dive in the fishbowl. There is a part of the show that I can't overpass if you guys have time to do this. Uh, this fishbowl that's sitting here with all the stickers on it. I don't know if y'all have 
listened to enough of the show to know what that's all about. Mm-hmm. So this is a section of the show we call Fishing for Goodies. And this is where I give up my inquisitive questioner role and I give it over to the fishbowl. And so what we do is we ask the guests to draw three questions and then we just talk about whatever the fishbowl presents. And so three questions, y'all can take turns. Y'all don't have to each draw three. You can just take one at a time and we'll just discuss them. Would you like to go first? I was not prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> so I just read it out you loud. You just read it out okay. loud. If someone has hurt you in the past, write a forgiving letter to them. Oh, this is personal. Has somebody hurt you in the past and you can say something to them right now? We've not had that come out of the bowl before, so this is a new one. Lucky me. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty um that's a pretty serious draw. Yeah, and I think too, um, the com- there's a part of it that you have to be ready for, right? Because yeah. if you do it too soon, it's kind of like apologizing. Yeah, uh, forgiving is similar in that way. If you yeah. do it too soon and you haven't come to pieces mm, with it, then yeah. it lacks that authenticity and it doesn't really count, in yeah. my opinion. Mm. Um, yeah. But to be kind of prompted to begin that journey um, yeah. is. Timely. So, yeah, how important do you guys think that is to do just as a, um, in y'all's profession? You know, just maybe we don't have to actually write those letters right now, but I mean, is there value in going into your past and like forgiving somebody that's hurt you? In, in some ways, it's a part of counseling with Gestalt um, therapy. Um, it wouldn't be unusual. Um, not every session is going to be a counselor telling you to write a letter, but it wouldn't be unusual for something like this to happen um, over the course of time with a client. Um, it's similar to to another technique, open chair, where you would um, sit across from an open chair and um, have a conversation with somebody maybe in a similar situation to has hurt you in the past. So it, in some ways it is part of counseling. Would you yeah, agree? Absolutely. I could see value in that even to bring it back to the relevance of suicide. You know, I can see value in that in the sense that maybe that is even what's driving someone to have suicidal thoughts is just an unhealed wound or something where they feel like they've been wronged and there's no, no just sense of closure or justice mm-hmm. An exercise like that might actually help them see the, see it clear, you know, sometimes in that exploration. For, for sure. Uh, if, if somebody has been, um, hurt in some way, shape, or form um, in the past, uh, they may have gotten the message, we'll just get over it. Maybe what they've never heard is, you know, um, that shouldn't have happened to you. I'm sorry that happened to you. And uh, so they've never gotten closure because they've never been in a situation where somebody's acknowledged that that wasn't that wasn't okay what yeah. happened to you yeah I, I have a friend on an online friend that i've never met in person who is very uh has been doing these exercises where they've kind of been testifying to things that have happened to them in their life and what i have seen in them doing that and finding the courage to talk about those things openly is other people coming out and saying gosh you know i'm so glad that you said that because i was afraid to say that because i went through something similar and it creates these little um I know embers that kind of fly out and create a bunch of little testimonies, not where everybody's comparing their suffering, but it's really been pretty healthy and healing. And I've heard a lot of people come in and say, I need to tell you, I'm sorry that happened to you. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Just exactly what you just said. Sometimes you don't. And, and it's not also not unusual in counseling too. I had a, um, a client years ago. Um, this person was in their seventies, shared something with me that was extremely, 
um, painful that it happened 50 years prior had never said it out loud before so sometimes what happens is because if we believe we're in a situation where we're not going to get that compassion we just don't share it and that doesn't mean that it goes away right mm-hmm. uh, if I can relate to that 100% yeah yeah, yeah. totally yeah, when I think about like writing a forgiving letter, it's also the act of like there's a component of me that needs to like let go of something yeah. in order to forgive, and then that whole mm-hmm. you know the cliche like forgiving's not forgiving the other person, it's forgiving yourself. Right. Um, but the idea of like allowing yourself permission to kind of release something that maybe you're kind of you you're just every day packing it in that backpack, mm-hmm. putting it on your back, and just yeah. riding along with it. <laughs> a guy said it. He he was quoting someone else, but a guy talked about not forgiving is uh, or holding a grudge against somebody which is kind of the same as not forgiving um is like eating rat poison to kill a rat you know the other person and i was like god that's so accurate right, yeah. i mean right it's true yeah well that was a relevant pull i, I, I was deep yeah i love i love the fishbowl it happens your turn <laughs> the little paper slips are guest submitted questions by the way or listeners as well possible solutions to personal challenges you're facing Wow, vague. (laughs) Raymond, do you want to take this one too? (laughs) Um, So where are we going with this one? You're doing so well already. (laughs) Possible solutions to personal challenges you're facing. Well, all right, let me sidestep this by going back to counseling too. That... um, and I think that this would possibly be helpful, even with the topic that we're um, discussing today with suicide. In, in counseling, it's not about advice. It's not about telling people what to do. It's about helping guide them um, to come up with their own goals and uh. achieve their own uh, solutions uh, to those goals as well. And um, I guess it is analogous for how you might talk to somebody who's thinking about dying by suicide or has mentioned that the thinking about suicide or just having suicidal thoughts is, um, again, don't jump right into fixing it. Here's what you should do. Um, I'm sure we all hear that all the time. Um, This is what you need to do. Um, The person may, given compassion and if they're feeling heard be able to come up with some solutions on their own for whatever the issue is to plus if you're not listening you don't really know what's contributing to their suicidal thoughts so you may be coming at it from one specific direction but it could be substance Mm. or you may be may think that um it's substance but it's really uh you know maybe they are lgbt and they're in their 30s and they've wanted to come out their whole lives and this is what they're dealing with too Mm. so listening um will help you um help them come up with their own solutions yeah yeah that's something different that's a little different than just saying well you should do this you Mm -hmm. should do that i I, I agree because there may be and i've had that before like a knee-jerk reaction to go well you know what you ought to do i mean we all have heard it myself been told that and i've those words have left my mouth and many times i go back and go god what am i thinking i don't know all the dimensions of this person's life i don't know where the where where, somebody on the show had said what's the come from And, and if i don't know the come from i could be totally off base by giving advice to somebody so one of my least favorite things in life and i think this is really um 
important when it comes to uh, thoughts of suicide is simple answers to complex issues. Uh, so if somebody's thinking about dying by suicide, whatever they're going through is complex. So your immediate knee-jerk simple answers, they've already thought of them. Hmm. Um, if you're going to say, think about your kids, think about your mom, um, if your business is going so great, they've already thought of that. You're not telling them something they haven't thought about. Yeah. Um, this isn't wake up in the morning and have uh, sudden, sudden suicidal ideation and then um, create your, uh, your plan the rest of the day. Um, they thought about it. What yeah. you're saying isn't new to them. It's very interesting that you say it that way because I remember uh, when I was going through what I explained earlier to you guys and I started going to counseling, I think it was like session one or two, you know, I was isolated. I was not, and I already had social anxiety and, you know, introverted nature, you know, that I have, I have to work on that. So that takes effort for me. It's not just I go out and am Mr. Social. It's not how it is. I have to actually do that work. And um, in counseling, it's a, well, have you thought of it? Do you go to church? And I said, well, no, I don't really go to church. Oh, you should go to church. You should come to my church. And started immediately going, there's a picnic this weekend, and this person's there, and oh, they're wonderful. And I was like, all that, all the counselor was doing was didn't know, and I mean, no fault to theirs, I guess. They just didn't know me well enough to be making that recommendation. All that was doing was terrifying me and driving me not only away from counseling, but further into my isolation. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was again goes back to was not aware fully of the come from yet. Right. And mm-hmm. I was I was actually receiving that all that was just like barbed wire and fences for me. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Well there you go. That's a good that was a good way to bring that home. Got one more though. <laughs> I do like this angle, by the way, the way we're, you're making the fishbowl relevant to the topic. This doesn't always happen. I like this. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is really cool. It's, it's very unique for this episode. Yeah, you dodged the personal connection. I just want to point that out. Well played. Um, <laughs> um, this one. Uh, the best boss you've ever worked for was so good because... Oh, well, that's pretty personal. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I'm trying to think of how to answer this one because I do I do have a, a person in mind. Um, I think it was a lot, as it relates to the conversation we had today, a lot of it had to do with really listening mm. and feeling heard. Yeah. Um, and like slow, paced out conversations. Yeah. Um, not feeling rushed. Yeah. That was really great and really helpful for me because sometimes I can be fast-paced and so having somebody that I can kind of slow down with in a helpful way um, was really like developmentally useful. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, Yeah, I think that kind of ties up everything we've talked about too is being heard. I would absolutely agree with that. I think for me too, I've worked in a very different world before I came to academia. And um, so I think for me, the it's important for uh, a leader, a manager to recognize that you can hold everybody to the same standard, but you're managing the individual. Mm-hmm. And so how you get everybody to that same standard um, will look different person to person. It takes more time. 
people don't want to do that. Um, right. <laughs> but uh, the fact is you're going to have better outcomes when you're building a team. Yeah. No, I, I've, I've had to learn that um, the hard way, too, because I, uh, I've i always felt like being inclusive. And, and team. when I think of team, I think of people working together, mm-hmm. right? But if you're going to have a team, sometimes you may have somebody on your team who is very talented, but they don't really work well in the organism so to speak so treating them like hey come on we're having this little you know get together this team building exercise not that i've done that but i'm not a super big fan of that kind of stuff because of again social anxiety introvert um i think sometimes bosses can come off that way and think hey you need to come on be a part of the team Mm -hmm. and you're going well you might lose this person who has an extreme talent if you try to bring them into that Mm -hmm. because that's just going to drive again barbed wire and fences they're going you know, I shall not go there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we can probably, can we tie this into suicide? Let's give it a shot. Yeah. I was thinking in terms of like, instead of the best boss, I was going to reframe that and put like, um, like a mentor Mm. that you've ever had was so good because so somebody Mm. that you look up to, um, somebody that kind of, you admire the way that they live and you want to maybe like mimic or Mm. strive for similar um, behaviors or similar like lifestyle habits that they have. Um, But yeah, and I think that's really important in terms of suicide. Like whenever we talk about like the antidote to that to a great extent is going to be connection. So like who do you have in your life? Um, Like what is so good about them and Mm. what is the thing that like draws you to them? And then how can you use that to cultivate some things in your own life that help you feel a little bit more grounded and stable and goal oriented and all of those things? Yeah. So you'd say that's a healthy thing for people to have. I mean, we're kind of talking about a role model, too, because some people may not even have somebody physical in their life, but there may be an icon or a person that Mm -hmm. they can look at and go, you know, I can read their works or watch their videos or learn from them even though they're not in my life right yeah and i think too when it comes to mentors a lot of times people will think of like celebrity or somebody that's Mm. like heroic or doing awesome work um i'm a huge fan of more what i would label like an everyday hero like a down-to-earth like somebody can yeah so like something i admire about you is that you're an introvert but you're having these really deep conversations on this podcast right so you're not necessarily us well maybe you are a celebrity it's not no. it's not polite to call you not a celebrity. <laughs> no. um, but yeah, like you're you're still doing really good work um, in a way that makes sense to you and that's admirable that you've you you know where you don't fit in, but you found where you do. And yeah, that's a good way to put that. I, I struggle with that mm-hmm. uh, for a lot. And it actually would I would say it would probably be a source of sort of a type of depression was that I don't fit in in these all these places that because i don't feel comfortable and for many years and i've i'll spare the audience because i can get off on a, a trail about this i would run from social situations or make excuses to get out of them or just avoid them entirely and what i realized is that i, I started to think that i um was a bad person because of that that i was wrong for doing that and i and that would create become a source of contention within myself that i was like well i don't fit in i don't belong um I'll just avoid this. And what I, what I realized was that it, that wasn't bad. It was just different. It was just Mm -hmm. different. I just didn't like, I don't like those types of settings. And I had, it took me a while to just go, Oh, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I can be social this way, Mm -hmm. right at this table. 
and put this out into the world and that's still being social it's just the way i can do it Mm -hmm. and that's literally okay and then the depression started to wear off and so now when people and i have clients who have a hard time with this because i have a lot of event type of things that's why i like filming the events but i don't like going to them Mm -hmm. you know because when i'm filming it to some degree i'm getting to experience it but i don't have to go mingle and do the social thing yeah. Right. So the camera becomes a, a separator, which I used to think was an unhealthy thing. Now I'm starting to go, wait, actually, that's just my way of engaging mm-hmm. with it. And I'm OK with it. Those are the, so the depression and the stigma disappeared. Now, what other people think about that, I think sometimes is that they, because they don't know that they see it as you're standoffish. You don't want to be here. You know, it comes off as you're not accepting of this social activity. You don't want to partake. Mm-hmm. You're an isolationist. It just it's perceived that way but again it goes back to the come from like we don't always know why people are doing the things they do it doesn't Mm -hmm. maybe come from a negative place it just comes from a place right and it's hard to deal it's hard to express without having an opportunity to nobody wants to sit down and go oh let me explain to you why i don't do that you know let me tell you you know what happened to me as a child and blah 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 blah, you know where this came from and, and that's that takes like you. I think one of y'all said that that's the longer conversation that we don't have time for, mm-hmm. right? right? And we don't make time for. And, and partly that's where this show has come from. To be quite honest, I mean that you saying that this show was born out of that mm-hmm. because we don't take time to talk. Well, then we will. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> let's, let's do this then. You know. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that. Oh, yes. Well, hey, I'm glad to do it. It's. I think it's. Um. It's been healthy for me. You know. Uh, and it's challenging sometimes, too, because we don't always agree with every single word, you know, but I learn a lot, too. And I hope the listeners do, too. I think they do. Well, I appreciate y'all taking the time to do this. Thank I know you. you have a lot going on and and you were a reluctant guest. <laughs> <laughs> Are you glad, though? It worked out great, huh? Yeah, I think <laughs> it went not the worst. <laughs> No, I think I think it went really well. I think that um, this is an important topic. I hope if I if I could just have a wish is that people listening to this will learn that it's OK to talk about mm-hmm. and just be again like y'all seem to both really believe that we need to start making this comfortable to talk about. And, you know, so it, that's one thing that I've struggled with and I've thought a lot about, too, is because it's it's a very serious topic. And if I f- feel myself getting light, ha- light uh, hearted with the topic I, in the beginning, I would question, "Ooh, what am what am I doing here? Mm. Um, mm. But as we talk about it more, we're directly um, addressing the stigma and that's and that's protective. So it's OK to have conversations about suicide um one of the things that i hear all the time is um well maybe not all the time but i definitely hear it is that uh if we talk about it too much we're going to put thoughts in people's heads Mm -hmm. Uh, so what i've started saying to people is no you can put your tinfoil hats away there's no danger of that we can't insert thoughts into somebody's heads the first time i said that i was i could feel myself getting a little nervous because that's a pretty like i'm kind of joking about a topic that involves suicide but um we need to be able to be conversational about this. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you just again from my own life, I wish that it was more conversation. Mm-hmm. I really do, because it would have been more healing for my family, you know, to have been able to talk about those things openly instead of it being uh, just constantly, you know, I don't know. I don't know the right language to use. It was just sort of 
danced around kind of kind of in a, a sideways way it wasn't like something you just talked about right. directly you know and watching family members heal in different ways and that was the other thing is and i think i talk about this with grief a lot you know because in, in the past few years we had a series of things we lost someone close to us we had the suicide in our lives and then we had cancer in our lives and it was like bam 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 right and I find by in looking at those things back to back and having those experiences so close together, how we talk about each one differently. But the one prevailing thing that I, that just seemed to be the same with all of them was the amount of time that society grants you to heal mm-hmm. is ridiculous. And it's just not healthy. People heal at different rates. Grief is different for everyone and I, I found that that's something we don't deal well with in society at least from my experiences uh, the world doesn't accept your grief very long Mm-mm. you know not and I, I'm using grief across all three of those categories but it has a different tolerance for grief within each of those silos absolutely and I probably sound real hard about it but I was a little disgusted by it and it's made me a little jaded truthfully and now I mean maybe even uh <laughs> probably have a rebellious nature about it now when i see someone grieving i almost have a little bit of tooth and claw that comes out i'm like you know what they need as much time as they need you need mm-hmm. to back off you need to back mm-hmm. off like big time and let them grieve right. let them heal how they need to heal you don't know how long that's going to be no you know and that doesn't mean just go stick yourself in a hole for the rest of your life but but you need time to heal right or you're going to come out i find if you don't heal take time to grieve and heal right from any of those three things you're going to come out the other end and it's going to come back in a different form it's just going to rise out of you some other way you know it sort of becomes like a become poisonous almost mm-hmm. you know just lurking around inside of you i again you know, i don't know I, I can only say that from my own experience mm-hmm. but Anyway, well, I'm going to put links to everything that we talked about. I'm uh, going to push the message about the walk. We'll try to get it out there and get some money raised, too. Thank Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Find the Good News. If you would like to advertise on this show or sponsor an episode, just visit findthegood.news. Send me a message and we'll see about getting your business, organization, service, product, or event on the show. I deeply thank each of you again for supporting this podcast.